0: Hi, welcome to another episode of Paul on Power, Power System Design's podcast on the latest in power and power design. I'm your host, Alex Palt, and today I've got a panel of experts who are, we're going to talk about uh, advanced materials because as my audience knows, I talk a lot about how power is a philosophy and a gestalt now and how everything is critically important. And materials are becoming a critical infrastructure, especially when it comes to uh, efficiency in a system. So I've got uh, Anthony Dutton, he's the CEO, President, and Director of IBC Advanced Alloys. I've got uh, his Executive Vice President, Christopher Huskamp, Chris, he's uh, in charge of business and technical development. And I've got a special guest, he's an editor also in the space, a fellow journalist. He's the editor of uh, Energy and Scarcity Investor in Military Technology uh, at Angora Financial. And uh, we're all just going to talk about the whole aspect of alloys and ultralight materials and their advantages in efficient systems. But since the nature of uh, our panel, we'll keep it pretty much in the area of military aerospace. But that's a pretty
1: big space, wouldn't you say, Anthony? It's an enormous space, Alex, and thanks for having us today. The pleasure is ours. Yeah, I know you've touched on a lot of big themes there. You know, that really is the underlying thesis of uh, IBC Advanced Alloys, Engineered Materials Division, is weight, savings weight, uh, how this can improve the power-to-weight ratio, which can then power or empower the performance of whatever application it is that we're designing for. I think that uh, even in the last three or four years, we've been noticing, you know, the trend of the importance of weight, you know has emerged as really being for many for many industries i think the automotive industry the aerospace industry certainly you know weight is the number one concern it's all about payload, it's all about fuel efficiency, fuel savings, and so we are trying to do our small part in introducing um, our specific alloys, which have wide applications across the aerospace industry, both commercial and military, in applications which will save the end user, whether it be a UAV platform, a satellite, a fighter jet, or a commercial jet, the opportunity to save weight and make themselves more efficient, which is, at the end of the day, what everybody is trying to do. Um, We as you know manufacture a very very unique uh, alloy it's made from beryllium and aluminum and what we have done in the last six months is very very disruptive because we have introduced a process technology whereby we can make this alloy as a casting and therefore make it at a lot lower price point than the existing suppliers of this alloy to the aerospace market that allows in turn engineers uh, and users designers um, of aerospace platforms again whether they be UAV or what have you, to use this alloy. We're finding from, from many of our business development discussions, and Chris can, uh, can, can elaborate here many, many, many of our, um, well, I'll call engineers and people on the buy side, they really want to use. Beryllium aluminum as an alloy, and they've always thought that they couldn't really justify the cost because it could only be used as a machined part or as a hogged-out part. But since we've introduced this new technology to the market and had it validated, I might add, by Lockheed Martin, who we're now working with on the F-35 Joint Strike Fighter, um, that, I think, has really demonstrated to uh, the buy side in the aerospace market that this is a, a, what I want to call a, a valid technology with some real potential, some real applications to both decrease weight, improve efficiencies, and most importantly in this economy, save money. So, you know, that's what we're all about, and uh, we've been s- spreading that message very successfully, thanks to Chris, and, uh, you know, he's probably got a few words to say, perhaps on a more technical level, because he's the one who primarily interfaces with the engineers at all of the various companies that we're working with. Well, you know, and actually I do want to
0: ask Chris, um, but I want to toss in, I realize, and I know we're going to uh, stay predominantly in the Milero. space but just to remind everybody, I mean, obviously, these are all technologies that will eventually trickle down. That next-generation fighter plane, as you point out, will help that commercial jet. But also right around the corner, it'll help that hybrid bus, and it'll help that electric car. And it'll help that advanced medical exoskeleton, help Grandma get around the house because... Well, you know, like something else
1: that will help, and Chris has already proven this up. I'm a very keen weekend cyclist, and uh, Chris and his team have uh, put together a prototype uh, crank set uh, for my high-end racing bicycle, which was... I believe, what was it, Chris, 28% lighter than the uh, hollow forged aluminum crankset and much stiffer, which meant there was more power being delivered by my big muscular legs, uh, you know, to the actual power of the bicycle. So this may seem kind of insignificant, but in the big picture, this is the kind of incremental improvements in performance and efficiency and weight saving that really, you know, was what what, what drives change. And uh, if people can see that by using our material, their UAVs are going to be lighter, or by using our material, they're gonna be more likely to win a bicycle race. Or Or Formula one. One. Formula One. Um, You know, so those are the kinds of opportunities that we we are looking at and looking at in detail. So, Chris, can you tell us about some of your uh,
0: application uh, challenges, successes, interesting stories, anything that you can share with our audience a little
2: bit on that? Yeah, I mean, it's the same story that we've been preaching for quite a while is we're really in a situation now where up until recently we haven't had the advantage or the ability to really design into these multifunctional materials or these uh, more esoteric uh, properties that these materials have. So being able to have a high model. Modulus or, or high stiffness gives you good dampening of vibration, gives you good stability, means you know less damage components, and say for instance uh, semiconductor electronic life things like that. You're transmitting less damaging vibrations to the box. Um, you know good thermal management with high conductivity. You're now able to rid these components of heat. So. Being able to really accommodate these unique characteristics in uh, concert with just the basic stress analysis that we've been performing for years is one of the big advantages. So, you know, you start to think about, you know, take, a, take any box in, a, in an avionics pack, right? You know, one of the major things it's got to do is hold the cards. The second thing it's got to do is prevent damaging vibrations. Third thing it's got to do is be able to pull the heat from the cards out to make it a survivable component. The smaller, more compact you make that means you have less air to cool, so now you've you've compounded the problem. And with less fin space or less surface area to radiate that heat, it's a real it's a real play. And these materials are starting to you know, broad base across other areas. So it's not just in the military defense side. You know, space obviously has packaging requirements where they're trying to do cryo to um, to sun, solar heated. So you're trying to say, can we manage the uh, thermal distortion of the materials and be able to maintain a, a, a more stable base to work from in some of these systems? So those are a couple of examples of where you're using non-traditional nontraditional uh, type of properties, but that transfers into everyday service because now what you get into is reciprocating components within engines, IC engine, internal combustion. Uh, you start talking about rotating components on uh, turbines, wind turbines. You start talking about all about efficiency. If you know, kind of a general rule of thumb we use in the motorsport side is if you can pull out a pound of mass on a rotating component, it's worth about six pounds in the chassis. And so those types of little uh, analogies are, you know, can be can be well thought out. Designed into components to where you say, okay, if I have a, you know a, a high-speed reciprocating component, say a Formula One engine, as you acknowledge earlier, really, Alex, is that you get into a situation where you know at those types of RPMs, you're using a lot of your horsepower developed just to overcome friction. So being able to remove that type of inertia is a big deal, and our customers see that as, as well as I think the rest of the
0: industry. That makes a lot of sense. That really does, Chris. Now I'm going to drag you into the conversation, Byron, because being uh, from another uh, publication and all, you're a little bit outside of the uh, industrial space, you know, you're, I realize that these gentlemen are really excited about their applications. How do you see it from your point of view?
3: I see what's going on as, as a part of a long evolution. Uh, for example, I like, to, I like to start modern aviation with the B-29 in World War II. <laughs> it was built out of steel with an aluminum frame and electronically it had a thousand vacuum tubes in it. It had a kilobit of processing power. Mostly they used it to run the autopilot, and the bombing navigation system it was simple when the nose goes up the nav system pushed it down when the when the rudder or the airplane yawed left the rudder would yaw back to their simple simple stuff but you know a thousand you know a thousand vacuum tubes at about 40 percent of which failed on any given mission people don't tell you about that in their world war ii movies but but now you it was steel aluminum you know cyclone engines by Wright paddock right, and uh, and the uh, and a simple electronics Looking back, although it was complex, it was the leading technology of the day. The U.S. government spent more money building the B-29 bomber than it did on the Manhattan Project building the atom bomb. Now, move to today. Move to today. For decades, we've been building airplanes, the same steel inside, aluminum outside, and some electronics. More electronics, more electronics. Today, we are finally reaching the point. We've reached the point where many, many of the newest uh, aircraft are coming out with completely... Different metallurgy on the inside, as well as far higher electronics, a lot more than those thousand vacuum tubes on the B twenty nine, for example. But we were building airplanes out of carbon fiber. The B two bomber was one of the original, you know, carbon airplanes. But but the and then the engine work and, and so much of the aircraft has become an entire system. In, in the F thirty five, for example, it is a flying network of, of of systems that talk with other systems, such that somebody on a ship 500 miles away you know, knows what's going on on the F-35, and the guy in the F-35, the pilot, he or she, knows what's going on in that ship 500 miles away. Everybody, everybody's networked together, and it's all being done with these advanced materials. This is not your father's airplane, it's not your grandfather's airplane. We have moved beyond the days of just you know, steel, aluminum, copper, lead, and a little bit of electronics. We've moved in an entirely new realm of materials, and what IBC is doing with the barrel cast alloy on the Lockheed F 35 and then on other projects as well is part of that evolution. It's highly investable uh, from a newsletter writer's standpoint. Uh, it's highly exciting from the standpoint of someone who's interested in, in chemistry and physics and material science, things like that.
2: Uh, this, this, is, this, is, this is what I want my kids to do. <laughs> it's, it's interesting because as you start to look down the road of, of advanced materials, you know, we're, we're in a very, uh, I, I like to call it pivot point in aerospace because, you know, you start to look in the UAS market, the UAVs, drones, whatever you want to call them today, that's the, the flavor. You know, we've had some recent news around uh, work on the Fire Scout uh, and, and being able to uh, implement some parts for testing that are delivered to uh, wild labs. And, and that's, a, that's a very unique, ripe space where you're, you're looking at a situation where as great as aluminum is, aluminum no longer works, And I like to always say that, you know, uh, a materials guy or an engineer needs to have a toolbox of capable solutions, you know, whether they be, you know, rare earth based, whether they're they're, uh, steel, aluminum, carbon fibers, whatever you want to call them. You need to have these tools. You need to be able to use them where they're appropriate. But now we're in a situation where this aluminum no longer works and it's too heavy. All right. so the structures that hold your boxes and hold your cards and you know your connectors I just was visiting a company out on the west coast that manufactures uh, plastic connector bodies because the aluminum connector bodies have gotten too heavy so you know everything is pushing down we, there's one particular customer that supplies engines we know uh, for UAVs that says a paper clip of weight will put a system overweight and make it not usable so those types of things really start to come into play and if you're going to put payloads which a UAV is nothing without payload whether that's a, an image system, targeting, target designation, or uh, weapon systems, they've got to be lightweight to be able to have appropriate loiter times, fuel, whatever the trade-off needs to be. So the only way those things go into play is with advanced
1: materials. And as you know, today we've had this um, conference here in New York about critical materials and their, their disruptive nature. Um, And I think it was Jack Lifton who spoke first this morning and Byron echoed uh, his thoughts on this subject that, you know, it's having, having a disruptive technology or a disruptive material is only as good as its accessibility and so one of the things that we've done with our um, ultra lightweight high modulus material is made it that much more accessible to those who want to use it because we've been able to introduce a new processing technology to the market whereby we can manufacture it at a much lower price point so if a technology costs a million dollars per something or other and we can now deliver it for half that price well that means that a lot more people are going to find it uh, something that they can now justify on a cost basis. So as Chris has pointed out, You know, right across industry, not only in the aerospace and the military markets that we're currently addressing, there are opportunities in so many areas where high modulus, thermal conductivity, uh, lightweight, and also cost, because all these companies who are making these things have to turn a profit at the end of the day, um, you know, makes it that much more accessible. So uh, for us, that's a a huge component of what a critical technology is. It's it's not good enough simply to introduce something that's going to make change unless people can use it.
0: I agree with you completely, Anthony. Now, unfortunately, this is a podcast that we could keep talking about this for hours, which is the reason why I say we're going to have a series, because I'd like to drag you all back at some point and we'll touch on various topics within this. But what I always like to do before I end my podcast is I always like to give my guests the last word. Uh, we can either have it so everybody gives a very little last word, or one of you takes the floor and uh, sums up for everybody. Everybody's pointing at you, Chris, so I think you're going to be the one to uh, give the summation but essentially uh, you get the last word in the podcast so the floor is yours
2: Yeah, no problem. So, if you look at it overall, we're we're at an inflection point, and the utilization of new materials, advanced materials, whether they're you know uh, depicting a single benefit or multifaceted benefits, is really changing how things are going to go forward. And whether it's a car, whether it's just a system, a power plant, or an aircraft or spacecraft, like we talked about. Quite frankly, I don't think any one of those sectors is immune to change, and step function change is the name of the game right now. So, we're we're poised and. And uh, positioned right now as providers to do that. But I think at the same time, engineers are now having the opportunity to be heard internally because they have the opportunity and they have the market drivers to allow them to make change. It's no longer just a financial consideration.
0: That is an excellent point to make, Chris. Well, as you were saying, you know, power as philosophy, efficiency as driving goal. So I want to thank you all anthony chris byron for taking the time to be on our podcast and as i said i'm going to drag you back but for now thank you so much for having the time with us
1: thank you thank you thank
0: you and i'd like to thank everybody out there in the audience for taking the time to be with us we wouldn't be here without you tell your friends this is alex Paul for Paul on power have a great day